Welcome to the Trinity Western Chapel Podcast. As a vibrant part of life at Trinity Western University, Chapel creates opportunities for us to engage with God's story of redemption in Jesus Christ through His Word, prayer, and worship. We're glad you're listening and hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. Well, hi again. We're back, and Esther is on our agenda today in uh, Esther chapter 3. And we're going to start <clears throat> just in verse kind of 6. I'm going to catch us up on the story. So this is Mordecai refusing to bow to Haman, and then Haman responding, understanding that he's a Jew, now wanting to annihilate all the people, not just Mordecai. And it uh, picks up in verse 7. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, they cast the pur, that is the lot, in the presence of Haman to select a day and month. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. And then Haman said to King Xerxes, there's a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom whose customs are different from those of all other people and who do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Boo, hiss. Remember that? Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Yeah, so there's a lot going on here. All of this started because Mordecai refused to bow to Haman. And the question remains why? Interestingly enough, uh, you would bow to the king. So what the king has done, Xerxes has just given his honor, higher than all the other nobles, but not higher than the king, of course. But he's extended his honor to this, this Haman. And so now everyone has to bow to Haman like they would bow to the king. So what's happening in many respects is like Mordecai bowed to the king. He's never had this problem before. And as a matter of fact, there actually are no explicit laws that would prevent Mordecai as a Jew from bowing to royalty. There really isn't. Now, there is a historical presence, uh, precedent. So there's a historical precedent and you know this one, Daniel and Meshach, Abednego, what is it? Shake the bed, make the bed, in the bed to go. This is how you remember this. Shake the bed, Shadrach, make the bed, and in the bed you go. Shadrach, Meshach, and in the bed to go. Okay, so those three, which are their Babylonian names, that's why they're so hard, uh, but they don't bow. They refuse to bow to Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember? They, they draw the line. So this is a really interesting thing about drawing the line. Like, where do we draw the line? Where, where is it compromise? And where is it like just reasonable compromise? And why I say this is because sometimes we can just really simplify. Like we can really be like, well, Mordecai refused to compromise his religious values. And you're like, mm, not really. I mean, if you think about Mordecai's life, like he didn't go back to Judah. So he's in Persia. He's obviously a part of Persian culture. The daughter that he raised, the daughter he adopted, he has advised to pretend to be Persian. So she's changed her name to a Persian name. She's become a Persian princess. They obviously spoke the Persian language. Uh, he's, you know, 
I don't think he has a lot of power, but he didn't draw the compromise at Esther being sexually trafficked, <laughs> right? Like that seemed to be a compromise that was okay. And on and on this goes. And I think the same in the life of Daniel and his friends as well. They're part of the Babylonian court. They're part of the empire. They're part of the leadership team. Uh, they eat Babylonian food, right? So there's some, Daniel, of course, draws some lines in his diet, draws some lines in his prayer life. You know, there are these, um, there are precedents within scripture for not bowing the knee to anybody else, but it's not actually an explicit law. And I think this is important because, you know, we don't want to oversimplify the process of where we draw the line for ourselves. Because our tendency is to get super religious in this respect and say like, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this. And we create this sort of external religious code that we live to, but then of course we find loopholes for all the time. And you hear this a lot in Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees, you know, like you refuse to work on a Sabbath, you know, but you'll exploit the poor. Like you refuse to do this, but you'll do this because you'll just find loopholes around the external code. This is not an external code that Mordecai is doing. It's something happening within him. There's something happening within him. And I always remember I served in Russia as just a young, just like I told you about my life, it came out of juvenile delinquency and stuff. And then when I got into sort of this idea that I could partner with God and bringing Jesus to the world and helping others, I was like all on board. My mother describes it. I didn't change speeds. I just changed direction. So I went to Russia to help um, with this assist, just like as it literally like a, a gopher volunteer, like I drove the car and I like helped unpack boxes and I kept a schedule and I did some youth stuff, you know, just whatever they needed me to do. And it was right after the Soviet Union had reopened up for the church to enter back in. And so there, it was fascinating time. And I served with this one leader, this guy, he's a remarkable leader. And he was just a very pragmatic, like he wanted to get stuff done and he wasn't going to waste any time. So he just did what needed to be done to get all the stuff done. And one of the things that was a regular part of the culture, especially then, because people were really suffering, is if you wanted to get anything done, you needed to um, oil the chains <laughs> or what is it? Grease the something or other. In other words, there was a lot of bribing going on. So for example, we had rented a facility to have our church services in. And every time we would go to the church service to get ready to the office, the guard at the office would say, sorry, uh, you know, I lost the key or I mean, it would be something random. And, and my the guy I was leading with, he would just go, oh, I, you know what? I just wanted to bless your family anyway. Give him a bag of sugar. And the guy would go, you know what? I found the key. So it was like that. And it happened quite a bit. And then he, this guy went home and, and he got so much done, by the way, like he served the poor in beautiful ways. He you know, I mean, I, I don't have time to tell you all the things he did, but he was just a remarkable leader, very, very gifted. And um, a replacement came for him, and I stayed around with her for a couple of months. She was a retired Salvation Army officer. She had lived uh, overseas her whole entire life. And she was coming in her retirement just to fill in for a couple of months while this guy was on holidays. And I remember the first time we went to the same place where we were having our Christian gathering and she went to the doorman and said, we're here for our gathering. You know, there's a couple hundred of us, maybe three, four hundred of us outside waiting to get in. And the guy says, yeah, there's been a double booking or, you know, whatever it was. And she said, well, look, you know, we booked it, we paid for it and we're here. So I'd appreciate it if you'd sort it out. And I remember saying to her, like, he just wants a bag of sugar. You know, like, just, he just wants a bag of sugar. And she's like, yeah, I know. I'm not new. 
like I've been doing this work for a long time. Like I'm not, it's not that I'm not getting what's going on here. I'm just not participating in it. You know, she's just like, I'm not doing that. And I said, well, I have, I've got the sugar. Like this is a thing we do. And she goes, it's a thing I don't do. And so anyway, this guy's like, yeah, sorry, you're not going to be able to use this place. And I thought, well, that's what happens when you don't do it, you know? And she said, that's fine. You know what? Forget about it. We'll just meet here. And she just turned around and she began to do church in this kind of driveway lobby of this cultural center in the middle of Moscow in Russia. She stood on a table and started to lead a song and everybody started to sing a praise song. And then she started to preach. And then this like Russian guard guy was like, ah, you know what? I sorted it out. You can come on in now. (laughs) And um, I remember talking to her afterwards and just saying like, talk me through this. Why don't you do that? Like it's, you know, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Like the guy actually does need some sugar for his family. So, you know what I mean? It's not like you're really doing anything wrong. And she just said, you know what? I don't feel right about it. It's not like I have a law that says I will never bless anyone with a bag of sugar. I just felt compromised in that situation. I can't do that. And I even know that this guy did that. I'm not saying he can't do that. I'm not, that's not for him. That's for him to decide with God. But for me, I have to be obedient to what it is that God's called me to do. And I think Mordecai is being obedient to what God is calling him to do in this specific instance. I also think Mordecai doesn't like Haman because Haman comes from the Amalekites and the Amalekites are the sworn enemy of the Jews. The Amalekites are not just the sworn enemies of the Jews in terms of they've been bad to the Jews, but the Jews have also been bad to them. They've been at enmity. They've been fighting with each other forever for generations. Saul actually says he annihilated the Amalekites, which obviously he hasn't because here's Haman, (laughs) but maybe he annihilated the tribe, uh, the, the tribal group that was in his presence. And so there's this, so that's why when Haman finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, now he's like, okay, oh, wow, this is great because I've had it in mind for some time (laughs) to teach those Jews a lesson. And maybe Mordecai, when he sees Haman elevated, not only is he upset that he wasn't elevated because he was the one responsible for the king's life, but also his enemy, his sworn enemy, the enemy of the Jews was elevated instead. And so maybe part of Mordecai's drawing the line isn't even just like, I can't do it because God told me not to. Maybe it's even just like, I won't do that. I can't do that. I'm not doing that because that's not going to work out for me. How much of it is God and how much of it is personal and how much of it is rooted in resentment and how much of it is rooted in righteousness, we may never, ever really fully know. And the truth of the matter is we don't often know that even in our own lives. All I know is that I have the responsibility to listen to the spirit at work within me. All I know is that there are moments in this cultural moment, there are so many compromises I make with this culture. So many, if we're honest. I mean, just this, probably the shirt was made by slaves from Bangladesh. There's no doubt the cotton industry or the chocolate I just had for for dessert was probably partly picked by late, you know, children that have been exploited and trafficked into the Ivory Coast of West Africa. I mean, if I'm honest, even just breakfast is a compromise. To eat my breakfast is probably compromising a lot of the kingdom values and a lot of the things that God told me to be about. This this culture of consumption, 
you know, at, at work, even though when there's people not enough. I mean, I've got rooms in my house that are free and there are people without any homes with nowhere to belong. And there's a compromise in that, that my kingdom values are compromised as I live in this world. And the question for me, I think one of the key questions out of this chapter of Esther is where do I draw the line? How do I know? How do I know? I, I think in my life, this is really a discerning thing. There are moments. And I think for Mordecai, this is one of those moments where he's just like, I've come a long way and I've compromised a lot of things, but I'm not doing it. And he just kind of stands in this place. And this, you know, it looks like when he takes a stand in this way that things go from bad to worse. And now it just goes from a personal relationship issue to like a genocidal one. So this looks like I would see in the short term, Mordecai would say, I don't know if it was worth it. I don't know if it was worth it. But we see in the larger story, like we were talking about last chapel, that God's hidden agenda is at work, even in those places where we feel like it's not going to work out. I flip all those years back to Russia and I think to myself, I was thinking to myself, this is not going to work. And it turns out not only did we were we able to worship in the place that we had booked, but afterwards the guard that we had given a lot of sugar to over the years and then one time didn't asked if the leader I was with could come and visit with his family. And he ended up getting saved through that very line that my leader drew to say, I will not cross this. Or something sometimes about a people who will stand up and say yes to integrity or yes to what it is God's called them to do or to listen to the spirit that's at work within us instead of succumbing to every invitation of compromise that comes our way. And in, in, not in a religious external way where we look for loopholes and we look good, but we're actually not good, but in a way where our spirit, soul, and body connect with one another and we just say, I can't do that. I won't do that. Maybe it's like the way that you treat women you know, and maybe you grew up in a situation where it was okay and this was okay and that was okay. And finally you're like, it's not okay. And I'm not going to do that. Maybe it's a racist joke in a locker room, or maybe it's just like participating in meanness or gossip, or I don't know what it is. It's not an external code. I'll tell you that right now. It's an inward decision. It's an inward conviction. It's how the spirit works where we just say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to participate in that. I can't do that anymore. And I've got friends who have uh, come to those uh, moments. Sometimes it's a big moment. Sometimes it's an aha moment. Sometimes it's just a slow, steady conviction that grows. And I I'm just not going to participate in that anymore. I'm just not going to be a consumer. I got a, a friend who says like, Amazon's out for me now. I'm, you know, I'm just going to shop local. I've got other friends who just refuse to drink coffee that isn't either direct trade or fairly traded or, or other friends, my kids, you know, who just every time we buy chocolate, will say, mom, was this made by slaves? You know, I mean, it's such a hassle to live an uncompromised life <laughs> and also impossible in many, many ways, like I said, but it is possible to follow the spirit's leading, to do what he asks us to do. To say, what are the ways that you're calling me to live? Where are the places where I don't need to bow down to dominant culture, to enemies, to bullies? Whether or not it's the economy or dominant systems of thought, whether or not it's demonic principalities and powers like racism and sexism, misogyny, or whether or not it's just even in everyday life where it's like, I'm not going to say yes to that anymore, even if it costs me 
my friends, even if it costs me in the short term, what I think about my future, even if it costs me, I'm just not going to draw that line, uh, allow that line to be crossed anymore in my life. That, that spirit is a spirit of wisdom. And the good news is that in the New Testament, Mordecai is kind of trying to find his way, just integrity or maybe history, whatever it is that he's struggling with. But for us, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And not grieving the Holy Spirit is one of the great ways we participate with God in this whole thing. I remember the woman I was telling you about that refused to compromise. I said to her, because she just had such a boldness about her and just did whatever God told her to do. And I said, how did you get there in your life? You know, like, how did you become this person that seems to me to be so fearless? And she told me about a, a, a time in the Philippines where she was um, helicoptered into this remote village who really wanted the Salvation Army to come and help them with some development and some uh, things. And they were doing a big presentation for her as the leader. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her. She said, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you to tell them about Jesus right now. And she said to the Holy Spirit, now's not a good time. And uh, the chief's speaking, and it would be completely inappropriate for me to stand up and interrupt him. So I'm just going to wait. And so she waited. And then the choir came up afterwards, a, a kid's choir, and they were singing. And the Holy Spirit said to her, she said very clearly, tell them about Jesus right now. And she said, I said to the Holy Spirit, now's not a good time. And she said, in the middle of that children's choir number, an alarm sounded and we were all evacuated. And I flew, I got, was loaded in the helicopter and I flew out of that village as a hurricane storm came through and killed hundreds of them. And she said, I wept and I wept and I wept because I didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. And I made a decision that day that whatever he told me to do, I would do it. That decision that she made all those years ago was what was at work in her when everyday decisions came up. And she didn't have to think about it or talk it through or pro and con it in her mind. She didn't have to weigh the pros and cons of the compromise. She just had already decided to listen to the spirit of God that is at work within her. And as she listened to the Spirit of God over and over and over again, it just became natural. It just became the most natural thing in the world, just like breathing, just to discern and listen to the Spirit of God. That's what I'm praying for. Ever since I met her, I'm praying for that kind of spirit, not a religious mindset, not like an uncompromised life where I'm just black and whiting and dual thinking, but like a... a a complex, beautiful relationship with God where he speaks to me and the spirit on the inside of me prompts me and I do whatever it is that he tells me to do, regardless of what it means and regardless of what happens to me as a result. Thanks for listening. We hope you are blessed and be encouraged in your faith life. Chapel happens every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 11 a.m. in the gymnasium or online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with us by following at TWChapel. Until next time, much love.